Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 15th, 2017, and you're listening to the best poker podcast on the planet. I'm Scott Long, and Chris Casenza is not here. Pause for applause. It sounds like chips. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't a lot of applause, but that's all right. Uh, no, so we are aboard the Independence of the Seas, uh, wrapping up yet another successful anti-up poker cruise. Chris is at home, hard working on the magazine, or going to see Last Jedi, depending on his Facebook page. Uh, but Chris made his presence known early on in this cruise, even though he wasn't here. And uh, and just in case anybody thinks that it, it's it's bad form for me to make fun of Chris... I will remind you that if I had done this, Chris would make fun of me. So it's only fair. And we can laugh about it now because the cruise went off without a hitch after the initial panic. And a lot of that is thanks to our special guest today, and the columnist Brent Philbin, who is now uh, going to have to change his business card from designated beer drinker to designated cruise saver. Savior. Savior is better, right? Oh, so I'm, I, I'm all right being a savior. Yeah. So here, here's what happened is that... Uh, me being the responsible member of the Antioch team, uh, I'm the one that packs our totes of equipment in advance of every cruise. So I go down to the storage unit and I, I you know, figure out the number of chips we need, all the other supplies we need, and pack the totes that we need. Uh, every cruise is a little bit different, so there's no formula to it. And uh, on this particular cruise, uh, since cruise, uh, Chris wasn't coming, he sent his wife Jeannie, who does a wonderful job uh, with our bookings, and her daughter down to enjoy the cruise, and she got the lovely pleasure of driving the equipment all the way down to Fort Lauderdale from Tampa, which meant he had to go over and pick it up from the storage unit. Now, we had four totes, and these are like big tool totes that we carry our equipment in, four of them in the storage unit, three of them destined for Fort Lauderdale, one just had a bunch of excess equipment that we didn't need, and uh, so... We, we get the Fort Lauderdale, which is always really difficult, clearing customs are very tough here. Jeannie walks in, gets the form stamp, no problem, so she's going to be doing that for us from now on. Um, and I'm like, I made the fateful comment that I know I should not make after 25 cruises, which is, <laughs> wow, everything is going to work out perfectly now, because that went so easy, right? Get to the uh, the port, We I start unloading the totes, and uh, I remember that one of them was pretty heavy. I had a struggle, because I'm not a strong guy. Uh, the other two were fairly light, so I pull one out, no problem, pull out another one, no problem, pull out the third one like I'm Superman. And I'm like, uh-oh, I promise you I didn't work out the last three days before I got down here, so I immediately opened the lightest one, and wouldn't you know it, Chris packed the surplus tote, and not one of the totes that we needed. Um, fortunately, uh, I quickly looked at the other totes and realized the tote that he forgot had just our tournament chips. And, um, well, you know, our cards. 
<laughs> and our rake boxes. Uh, rake boxes, we, we, we always we, we figure out a way around that, so that's no problem. Tournament ships, we can always borrow from the cruise line, which we did, so that was no problem. But a little difficult to have a poker cruise without cards. So, fortunately, our poker manager, Ramsey, uh, quickly thought, hey, um, uh, you know, Brent lives down here. He's coming on the cruise. He probably knows where we can buy a bunch of cards and whatever other supplies we need. Got you on the phone. You ran to a uh, casino supply store, which yeah. not on every corner in the United States. Uh, bought up a bunch of cards and put some other supplies we needed, 200 bucks worth of stuff. And then swung by Office Depot and picked up a couple office supplies for us. Crisis adverted. I don't think anybody on the cruise would have noticed that we had that panic at all because of the way we'd resolved it. But, of course, we had to mention at the cocktail party that Chris screwed it all yeah, up yeah, just for kicks and giggles. Sure this- <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Brent, for saving this cruise. Um, it would have been very difficult to have a cruise without uh, cards. It was funny because our, our travel agents were actually down here because they're based down here. And they're like, oh, my gosh, uh, give me a list of stuff. I'll go to Walmart and get whatever you need. And I'm like, you can't really go to Walmart and get cards for poker cruises. But I appreciate you trying to help out. Uh, but fortunately, you were there to save the day. So thank you. Yeah, our, our, our gaming supply store guy actually made his own plastic cards, which was really scared me when he said that. He's, he's, you know, I asked him if he had chems or copags. He said, no, but I make my own. I'm like, Ugh. I made him pull one out so I could feel it, and they, they worked out all right. Yeah, they, they weren't terrible. I'm not sure where we'll use them again unless uh, maybe we need to store them somewhere around the country so in case uh, Chris forgets in the future. <laughs> but but it all, all worked out and uh, had a wonderful cruise, a lot of fun. We had a lot of action this cruise, which was really nice. We had kind of had a feeling that would because this is our cheapest cruise of the year and a lot of passengers, but a uh, little uh, benefited from the rain um, in Haiti, which kept people on the boat. And um, But a fun crowd, had a good time, and a couple funny stories, too. So, first of all, uh, today we just took our picture with Santa, first time ever in any of cruise history that Santa came. And it was one of our passengers, he emailed us um, uh, about a week before the cruise and said, Hey, uh, I bear a striking resemblance to the jolly old elf, uh, so much so that I, I dress up and I go to nursing homes and put smiles on um, old people's folks, our faces, and uh, would you mind if I brought my Santa Claus outfit uh, to the cruise, or would that be a distraction? I'm like, absolutely not bringing He brought 30 hats for other people, too. We took one big awesome photo here today. And then, on the very next hand, he was in the middle of the tournament. He was in the tournament break. Um, he was drastically, uh, fr- frantically taking off his Santa outfit, Ran over to play one hand, all in, out. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't, I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so somebody's getting cold in their stocking this year. I'm not sure exactly who that was. but um, And then uh, always, uh, it's always something with our dealers. We have such fun dealers come on here. Um, and there's always some kind of prop bets involved somewhere. This time, again, for the second time in my life, I lost a credit card roulette for a dairy product. Credit card roulette. You weren't there, Brent, for it, but uh, we went to or Dairy Queen. <laughs> we went to Dairy Queen in Jamaica, of all places, and uh, we all got blizzards. And of course, I lost. So it was a forty-one dollar blizzard. I enjoyed uh, sitting uh, three feet from the cruise ship. It was better than the forty-one dollars in um, uh, ice cream that I lost last time. Um, uh, that I lost the last time we were on the show at, uh, on the cruise. Um, but but I. It's funny because you. Have the reputation of never being able to win credit card roulette. Yeah, if, if the for that little stretch there of losing twelve person cab, twelve person <laughs> cab, eleven person cab, and then eight person Dairy Queen, <laughs> I, 
I, I, I should have won the lottery. I went the uh, the other direction of that. So yeah, that's funny because the one that one Dairy Queen that you lost, I did not participate in, or I'm sure I would have lost. But um, and, and you know, we're just throwing out these terms of it just so you know what credit card roulette is. We probably talked about it on the show before, but uh, essentially, anytime we, we, we're in port and we take a cab, as we mentioned, or we're at a restaurant or anything like that. We all put our, our, our room keys in because we don't have credit cards here and uh, have the, the waiter or somebody pick one of them, and that person pays for everyone, usually Brent. <laughs> usually. <laughs> to the, the point actually, that we've the actually – yes, go ahead. The only time that I didn't was the time that it was my birthday, and you said, you know what, for your birthday <laughs> present, right. I'm going to cover your part of the credit card roulette. I was still picked, but I didn't have to pay. <laughs> didn't have to pay. <laughs> Uh, but so, so I'm sitting there like angrily eating my $41 blizzard. Um, we were standing, we were sitting there, and across the way there was a, a Jamaican craft booth there with a big, uh, which seemed like at the time a really big uh, women's dress in Jamaican colors. And uh, Ramsey, our program manager, talked to, uh, asked one of our dealers, big guy, Rob, great guy. He's like, what's it, what's it going to take for you to deal in that dress all night tonight? And he's like, I don't know. Throw out a number. He's like, no, no, I'm not throwing out a number. You throw out a number. And he's like, he thought about it for a minute, and he's like, 85 bucks. And we're all like, done. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. You need to start much higher on that. So we, we sent another dealer over to buy the dress for 25 bucks. We all kicked in. And last night he dealt in the dress but it, because he's so big it ended up being it looked like a t-shirt it, it looked like a tank top <laughs> so it looked like he was wearing a tank top and shorts joke was on us <laughs> but uh that, that, that's kind of the fun stuff we've had today but we're going to spend most of today talking about cryptocurrency because chris and i uh splashed around in that like we were drowning a couple weeks ago and Brent listens to the show and is like oh my gosh you could have had me on the show because i know everything about cryptocurrency and when i say he knows everything he glassed our eyes over uh, two nights ago in the Scar Lounge, telling us everything he knows. So, uh, but no, it's important because cryptocurrency is really um, taking off in the poker world, taking off everywhere actually, but but particularly in the poker world. So uh, I'm gonna have Brent just uh, tell you what he knows about cryptocurrency and how it is affecting poker and where he thinks it's gonna go, and we'll throw a couple more questions in there, and uh, then you all can make your own decision on uh, what you want to do with it. So, start, Brent. What is cryptocurrency? Well, that's that's such a that's a super broad question. Uh, I'm gonna keep it. I don't want to gloss anybody's eyes over for the podcast. So, uh, at its complete core, what cryptocurrency is hoping to do is replace uh, replace actual money someday, but in 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 a decentralized way, which means that nobody controls it. So, um, in that's that's the basis of what Bitcoin was created on. Bitcoin is now one of thousands of cryptocurrencies. Um, we don't know which one is actually going to take hold and be the one that people spend for money, if any of them. But they are—they're trying to go. They're trying to become. I'm sorry. Cryptocurrency is trying to replace uh, the euro or the U.S. dollar or um, or you know the the pound, whatever. So that rather than each country controlling their own currency, there just is a currency out there that everyone can use, not controlled by anybody. And when you say not controlled by anybody, can you explain that a little bit more, the, the blockchain and all that, or am I getting ahead of you? So, so I, I will I'll give a quick version of how the, the blockchain works. But basically, um, the, the code for the currency was put out there into onto the Internet. No one controls it. Nobody, nobody controls the... Um, Nobody controls the bandwidth to house the code. Everybody who uses it 
contributes to the code. Each person that uses it and figures out one of the blocks has that on their computer, and it's all... You can't shut it down. You can't shut down somebody's computer and therefore shut down a piece of Bitcoin because it's completely... Every time somebody solves a new block, there's um, there's more out there. So what is solving a block? So basically, uh, Bitcoin is an, Bitcoin's an open ledger. And uh, what a ledger is is just writing down what you're... You're just keeping track of who owes what money. You all do it. Uh, we do it constantly in open face Chinese poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it goes a little bit something like this. Brent plus 20. Ramsey plus 120. Scott minus 140. <laughs> and, Almost exactly like that. And we're just writing that down on a piece of paper. And then we will play a hand. And the next hand will cross out all three numbers. And then the next three numbers are written. So that's a ledger. Now what's going on with open ledger is each person is keeping track of their own score in the Chinese poker game. So me, Ramsey, and Scott are all keeping track at the same time of what's going on. And how do we know which one of those to trust if there's a discrepancy? Well, we go down and we trust the one that's the longest, which is the, which is the proof of work. So uh, if Ramsey and I have the same amount and Scott has a different one and ours are longer, we assume that Scott just didn't get that one uh, transaction or that one line in there, and we trust ours. Uh it's a lot more advanced than that, but that's the basis. And then the way you end up putting the transactions on the network is via the blocks. And it's called blockchain because once the block is full, you go to the next block in the blockchain. Uh, and the blocks appear based on computers finding the answer to a ridiculously tough equation, basically. Uh, you know, X plus 1 is 3. is You can just figure that out by subtracting the 1 from the 3 and getting 2. This one, you have to just brute force it. You cannot figure it out in reverse logic. You have to just keep putting it in there. So the computers are using their computing technology to constantly figure out uh, this new number. And when the one computer that does figure it out finally gets rewarded with Bitcoin and they their new balance gets to go on the ledger, and then the next block is figured out. So that's how... That's how it goes on down the line. It's just a giant game of open-faced Chinese poker, <laughs> and and everybody is keeping track of everybody else's balance, and it's all public information. You can go out there and find all of the balances of every wallet, every ledger everywhere, which originally was extremely um, uh, anonymous, but now as there's more data out there, you can find out, well, this wallet belongs to this person or this company. So it's a little bit less anonymous than it used to be, but it it, it it's all out there. And people use blo- other companies, industries use blockchain technology, correct? Right. right? The, the banks were using blockchain blockchain technology either right around the time that um, the original Bitcoin code was released, or before that. They're not using decentralized blockchain technology, but they're still using blockchain to keep track of their ledgers in the exact same way. So the the entity that created Bitcoin uh, goes by the name Satoshi Nakamoto. Or Satoshi, I guess. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. And nobody knows who that is. That was a pseudonym that was used. It could be a man, could be a woman, could be a company. Uh, but they are the ones who put the code out there. And they wanted to make sure everybody knew that nobody had anything to gain by this except those that were holding the, the Bitcoin themselves. So my guess is that person did work in the banking industry, saw how they were using the blockchain or how they were coming up with the blockchain, and decided it would be a good way to do a decentralized currency. Okay, so one question I think a lot of people have, including me, um, and I've read a little bit since we talked the other night, but um, in a practical sense, when you own Bitcoin, how do you convert that into something of value? 
something that's tangible now. Well, there's so a cu- uh, a couple of different ways. One, you can just you can cash it out via one of the exchanges that has U.S. dollars or euros or whatever you want to turn it into. But ideally, in the future, more companies will do what com- what like Overstock.com is doing and just accept it as a payment option. So you you know they can uh, you can go on Overstock.com. It used to be Steam. Dot com would, would take it as well, but the transaction fees have gotten a little bit high over the big viral spike that's happened in the last couple of weeks, so they've shut it down. But but you um, you should, in theory, just be able to spend it like it like it is its own currency, uh, spend for good and service. That's what it always has been doing. You know, there's there's the um, you know the the original way that Bitcoin got value was kind of nefarious. It was on something called the Silk Road, and people were. Right. We're buying, you know, drugs and, and you know, what anything illegal that you could think of was on there, and that's kind of how it started to gain traction and gain value. That was back when it was somewhere around twenty dollars uh, a coin or something like that, and so that's how you can turn it into the U.S. dollar. Be a, you can sell it to somebody pretty easily. You can buy goods and services with it. You can use uh, a company like Coinbase or Gemini or something like that to cash it out. Right into your bank account, U.S. dollars that way. Um, another thing, interesting thing I learned uh, yesterday, sitting in Jamaica, drinking my red stripe, reading about this, is uh, there, there's a an emerging market. It hasn't been developed quite yet, I don't think. It sounds like, but uh, there are folks because of how how much these currencies are um, appreciating and how rapidly they are, they're they're not eager to get rid of them, but they also want to enjoy the spoils of having them, right? So um, they're looking into companies that will give them a loan based off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the volatility of it, you're, you're looking at very high interest rates and um, and high amounts. But it sounds like if you've got a decent amount of cryptocurrency, that's a small price to pay to be able to sail on a yacht right now. Yeah, than- there's a company called Salt Lending. There's a few that are doing it. The one that is the biggest traction is Salt Lending, and they what they do is they charge – uh, somewhere between nine and nineteen percent uh, annual on a loan that they give you, you have to give them collateral of one hundred and twenty percent. I think of whatever of yeah, you have to give one hundred and twenty percent based on the U.S. dollar value, and then you get a U.S. dollar loan equal to that. So you'd have to give twelve thousand in Bitcoin to get ten thousand U.S. dollars. Right. If your Bitcoin appreciates, you can pay down your loan that way. If it depreciates, it acts like a margin call, and you need to put more U.S. dollars into the account. Eventually, that company will uh, will act as sort of a lending club, and you can take either side of that uh, equation. But the because it's exploding so quickly, it is one way to for people to kind of go all in, and now they can um, they can borrow against what they've gone all in with, so that they have more U.S. dollars to play with, I guess, and lock up the. Bitcoin funds as it grows or doesn't grow. Um, all right, so one more question before we start talking about how this affects poker. But so everybody knows Bitcoin now, right? But there are lots of these cryptocurrencies out, right? Are there more being created every day? Is this something where that there's an infinite amount of cryptocurrencies that can be supported? So, so right now we're looking at kind of a like an open season on creating coins. Everybody wants to do it. Because the the key behind behind Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies is the decentralization. You no longer have once the once the company is out there and functioning, you don't have to worry about what the company is doing anymore for the, for the most part. As long as they get that code out there and it does what they say it's going to do, 
you don't have to worry about the person running the company or anything like that. They're, the decisions are all made by the by the miners on Bitcoin or, or whoever, but they're made by the community in some way rather than the company. Uh, so there are thousands of different coins already, and there's more every day. Uh, they're called ICOs when they when they come out. Uh, initial coin offerings, most of them, uh, you send them some number of Ethereum, which is the number two cryptocurrency, uh, and they send they send you some amount of their coins. And each one is a little bit different. Some of them do a blind auction. Some of them do just a set number. Some of them, if you get in early, you get a small bonus versus getting in late. And they all do this kind of on a promise. It's what's called the white paper. The white paper says, this is what we're going to do. And here's how we plan on doing it. Sometimes they have, uh, sometimes they have a proof of concept, but most of the time they're not even an alpha. So when they come out, you're just—it's—it's it's a pretty big gamble to invest in in, in an ICO like that. But you know, in in the in the case that they end up catching on and being and being used quite a bit, you would you would see a big return on your money. So the. Uh, how many can really be supported is a really interesting question. Uh, each little, each coin is trying to solve and disrupt a certain industry. So, it the Bitcoin original disruption is trying to disrupt the banking industry worldwide. Uh, something like uh, like Salt is trying to disrupt a, a lending or a margin industry, or um, something like. If you go real down the line to a really little coin, something like Engine Coin is trying to disrupt the uh, the gaming industry. So they're all trying to to make it happen, and and if they do become the way you're you're spending your money, then that's when they'll shoot up the the ranks. So in the end, how many? I I, I have no way to know how many of them will be supported, but I right now there are obviously way too many of them. So. When you're spreading your money around to anything that's not one of the top coins, you're taking on all the risk that's already involved with such a rapidly growing position, plus add times 100 <laughs> once you get outside of it. So you're already dealing with one of the most risky investments you've ever you've ever come across. Now you're going even further down the rabbit hole when you go to one of those little companies, but at the same time you're getting a big reward. So so it's real it's really really tough to know where those are going to shake out. But not many can be, not too many. We're maybe 100, might be 10 years from now, reasonable. So we're talking about a lot of different coins. All right, so let's turn this to poker. So I think most people are, remember Seals with Clubs, which very similar to this, right? They, that's what they, they accepted? Yeah, that, so Seals, well, they not only accepted uh, Bitcoin, but that's how you played. You didn't convert it into U.S. dollars and then play normal stakes you played one two bitcoin no limit so you know it's kind of hilarious to think about now yeah. with bitcoin now at eighteen thousand or whatever it is right you you were playing the biggest game of all, <laughs> of all time if you were playing on clubs and seals uh that yeah they were we one of our one of our dealers uh brian he he regularly played one two bitcoin no limit and, and anytime anybody talks about bitcoin he makes him sick <laughs> Um, and and the reason that the that that site came up, obviously it got shut down. But but other ones are are doing it now, and and probably will not be shut down. Um, is because it gets around the UIGA because there are no financial institutions involved, right? Right. So the UIGA said that banks cannot have transactions with the poker sites, which is why they still kind of ran 
once the IGEA, or sorry, UIGEA came came through law, they were like, whatever, we're just going to keep running. The, if the banks get shut down, who cares? Well, that didn't really work out for them. <laughs> but right now, if you are sending Bitcoin to these people, they are not in any way dealing with a, trans, a banking transaction. Right. It is. It hasn't been uh, recognized as uh, well. It has in some in some cases, but it hasn't been recognized by the U.S. as a banking transaction. Although it was kind of recognized as legitimate currency via a weird statement in one law somewhere, but um, but yeah. So, but the U.S. government can't shut down a cryptocurrency now because it doesn't really exist. Right. They can't. They can't. I mean, exist. They but can't. Um, you know, they, they have no regulatory control over it, which is probably a concern for some people, but. Right. For a poker but, player, it's a it's a good thing. Yeah, that's what the the decentralization and the the no regulatory control is why it's kind of starting to catch on. That's also going to be its downside, or it's always going to be the major downside to it. You see a lot of pump and dumps in the market, and a lot of the things that are legal in the stock market happen constantly in the cryptocurrency sure. market. There's nothing you can do to stop them. But at the same time, because of that, you can run an online poker site and. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure there is nothing in in between there as long as you're completely transacting in Bitcoin or any other currency that um, that can that can stop it. Now you mentioned that when you're on seals of clubs, you're playing actual Bitcoin. So these new ones are you convert to a currency of choice to yeah. play with? The 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 sites now you just deposit via the Bitcoin. They give you an equivalent U.S. dollar, and it's an instantaneous transaction. I'm not sure how they're dealing with the high transaction fees at the moment um, because with the Bitcoin spike there is uh, it used to be very very cheap to move Bitcoin around but it has outgrown that and uh, the community has yet to upgrade the block size back to talking about those blockchain and what we can put on it it's at one megabyte it needs to be you know two or three just to handle the volume that's going on now should it should be something like eight, and the so in order to get your transaction on the block and processed, you have to offer a large transaction fee. You get to choose it; nobody else chooses it for you. But if you don't offer a big enough one, it'll just sit there for hours. Right. So it's uh, so that's got to be affecting the the poker sites also. They probably just build it into the conversion rate, and you don't really have to worry about it on, on as that the end sense. user. Yeah, um, but. There are poker projects out there that are trying to to go full blockchain. Um, there, there's one that I I have done a little bit of research on called Virtue Poker. They're the ones that just hired uh, Phil Ivy. I had a huge problem with that um, just from the standpoint of uh, it was Phil Ivy. He was involved in full tilt poker. No matter what you think about whether he was whether he knew about what was going on or whether he didn't, both sides of that are not good for him being part of a new company and they their uh hitch or i guess uh, spiel whatever you want to call it is they're not going to be controlling player funds so you never have to worry about whether they have them or whether they don't True. but they're doing this whole weird um you're you're shuffling and then passing the deck to the next person and they're shuffling and i don't really understand all of that um I didn't get it. I didn't get a whole lot into it, but there will probably eventually be one of these poker sites that that are completely decentralized and nobody holds the funds. You hold them in a wallet that has a smart contract to give it to the winner of the hand or something like that. But uh, but you know I don't know where that's going to go from here. 
because once you've gone complete decentralization, the company who makes the product is not going to be the one that benefits that much from it anymore. Mm, interesting. Um, so I guess from a poker perspective, uh, if you want to play, this is good news because you know it's not regulated. Um, so it gets around the law here in the United States. Um, I don't know what that means for our friends overseas, where they hopefully they have legal poker or regulated legal poker. But um, the downside that we always talk about online poker is when it's not regulated, you have the fear of either being cheated or the site going under, like Full Tilt, or something like that. So that seems like that's still the fear with all these sites. Mm-hmm. Is that it's, safe to say? It's not only it's not only a fear in the poker sites; it's a fear in the uh, the cryptocurrency um, exchanges. They're they're all functioning off of the trust that they are holding your funds, uh, which is <laughs> I, I, oddly <laughs> enough one of the things that that crypto was trying to avoid. And um, so yeah, full full tilt. The the full tilt fiasco was, you know, would we have ever caught them if the if the company didn't go down? Uh, probably not. They were probably holding just a, you know enough player funds to. To cash out everything that was being cashed out over the course of a year, um, it's it's so hard to it's so hard to know, and you are putting your trust in the in the company when you're sending it to them because once you if you don't control the private keys to your own cryptocurrency, it's not yours. So if it's on a poker site or if it's on an exchange or if it's sent to an ICO, you no longer have any control over what is going on, and you have to trust that other entity to do what you're doing. So that's one of the one of the reasons that decentralized poker not holding the player funds is somewhat interesting, and it's one of the reasons decentralized exchanges are interesting. Um, and but but as it is right now, I don't see any reason not to not to trust the major sites that are taking it. Um, I, I think they probably learned a lot from from Full Tilt when it sure. happened, and without looking with, without looking into it and just purely guessing, I would imagine they have some sort of third-party reporting on them annually or something like that, just to kind of alleviate everyone's fears. Um, All right, so to take it back away from poker now, um, obviously it's been on quite a run now, cryptocurrency. Uh, Bitcoin was like, what, back when it first started? Oh, I mean, it was it was below a dollar. Dollar. I'm going to be completely making up the numbers, but there was a there was a pizza that was sold for twenty Bitcoin or something. The first transaction with Bitcoin, it might actually, I think it was more than that. I, I, there, the first transaction ever done with Bitcoin was a guy ordering a pizza for another guy, and it was, it's, you know, go look it up. It's like a famous thing. There's there's a Netflix documentary about it that talks about that as the, the first transaction going on, and you know, that, if that guy didn't get rid of his coins, he'd be a millionaire. So, so yeah, it was. Hope that was a really good pizza. Yeah, it, <laughs> there are pizzas that I pay that kind of money for. Uh, but now it's like what eighteen thousand last time I checked. So I mean, it's obviously appreciated a lot. We're we're in the middle of this real rush. So, um, <laughs> the discussion going on now is: is this the next housing bubble? Is this the next thing? Because things really tend not to be able to run this hot without maybe not crashing but dipping. 
And uh, not comparing you to Warren Buffett, but I know you are a big proponent of cryptocurrency and think it's going to be a good investment. Warren Buffett does not believe in it. Uh, but there are other very rich, successful investors that do believe in cryptocurrency. So it's it's really a who's right and who's wrong scenario here. So um, what what is propelling your thought that this is a good investment to get into right now? So good investment is kind of a, a relative term. Um, if, if you buy Bitcoin today, is it going to be worth more in a year? Uh, the way I think probably, but it's also very likely that it won't be. Uh, it is going through a big surge right now. It's gone through tons of big surges in the past. But in the end, the reason I, I believe in it is, uh, as an investment, the reason I believe in uh, putting everything that I can into it is that uh, in 10 years, if and when some or a few of these coins catch on and are being used just like we use Venmo at dinner right now or something like that, that's when your coins will be worth 100 times or 500 times what they are now. Uh, looking at it then, you're not going to care whether you bought a, a Bitcoin at 10000 or 20000 when it's you know when it's worth 500000 or whatever. Sure. So it it'll it'll look very similar. And um, looking back at the at Bitcoin's graph itself, you'll see there was a major crash uh, a few years ago. There uh, it w it went very quickly from about a hundred up to a thousand, and there was a, an exchange at the time called Mt. Gox that just stole everybody's money. That they were the primary Bitcoin exchange. They decided one thousand was enough, and as is the danger, they were holding it on there in a centralized way. They had to trust them. Trust didn't work out, so they took it all. And it crashed Bitcoin right down to $100. And it, it took a long time to recover. But when it did, it started to go very quickly up above 1000 And we're talking, I think at the beginning of the year, it was only something like 1500 So, So it has crawled up very, very, very fast from that point. So I... I do believe that there's going to be a pullback. I, I have no idea to, I, I don't know when and I don't know how much, but there has to be. Uh, we're looking at a lot of new money influx into it. Coinbase, the primary way to buy Bitcoin, was the number one app on the Apple App Store last week. And there are going to be a lot of people who, who bought it at 15000 It gained to 17,000 they want to pull their money right back out they're like look at that I won I won my my bet I bet that it would go up and it did now I'm, I'm pulling it out um, it is probably ahead of where it needs to be because we're not at you know Bitcoin itself is not functioning as a great currency right now and as far as the others that do function great as currencies there's not a user-friendly way to do it to send it to each other or not there's there's no Venmo crap where I can just send it to you super easily and square up for something. Uh, it's it's it very seems like much, that's a miss, isn't it? Doesn't it seem like that's an easy thing to come up They're trying. They uh, you know Coinbase has a very friendly mobile app. Uh, their uh, um, Cash app, the uh, the Square Cash app, has built in Bitcoin in a beta, but it hasn't released it yet. So there there are a lot of people trying to to get this done, but the security is the biggest concern. It's really easy to access information on your cell phone, so building in your private keys into your cell phone is dangerous, and it's a way to get hacked. So you need to 
find a way to build those private keys into whatever item you're using to transfer it to, to each other. It may it may be that everybody has to use like a little key fob on their on their keychain at some point in addition to their cell phone to make this happen. Um, much like you have to carry a wallet for your cash or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So there there isn't a, a secure enough way to do this that is mainstream yet. And that's why I, I often say this is like MS-DOS as opposed to Windows. We don't have the the easy way to do it. Sending Ethereum between myself and you requires uh, you, you have to set a price on the transaction fee the same way, but it's it's not intuitive an intuitive way to do it. Um, you have to set a limit on your gas, which a gas is just a very small unit of, of Ethereum. But when somebody looks at it, they're going to look at that. They need to Google again. You need to Google again, or have somebody else tell you how to send it. So we're we're really not at mass adoption yet, and that's why this price is is big. And is probably a little bit inflated for what it is, and and it also at the same time will eventually be much bigger, Pro- possibly. You know, there there's a very good chance that, not, that none of these get adopted. It's too confusing. It's too quick, and it all crashes. Um, and I'm well aware of that with everything that I'm investing. And I and I I tell you know, I'm not a financial advisor. Scott <laughs> certainly isn't a financial advisor. Uh, but. You know, so so I'm I'm just saying what I do and and what I think. I have no way to judge what the price is going to be today or tomorrow. When I have extra money, I put it into things. You know, I've I've done everything from invest in uh, invest in a porno site to buying uh, virtual land on blockchain. So so I'm I'm all over the place. I actually so you're diversifying. Yeah, right? I, I own zero percent Bitcoin. Um, as much as I've talked about Bitcoin on this podcast, I don't. I don't believe in it as a currency in its current state until it's fixed, and I don't know that it'll be fi- that it'll be fixed because of the way that, in order to fix it, 80% of the community has to agree, and um, <laughs> right now the miners are really happy with the high transaction fees. So, to to be honest, yeah, so, so they're making their money off of that. So yeah. they don't they they don't want to change that. So they don't see the they're they're thinking short term versus long term, sure. and as as you've seen with elections. Getting fifty percent of people to believe in something is very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. Yep. <laughs> All right. So the last thing, and you're not a governmental lawyer, and neither am I, but uh, it seems to me the real the real battle here is unregulated versus regulated. Right. So the people that are enjoying it now are using it, love it because it's unregulated. But to get mass adoption, there's probably a good number of people out there that are uncomfortable getting involved in this until there is some kind of regulation. So what wins out in that? I, I think there can be some sort of a hybrid solution eventually. Um, be, there can be a way to regulate what is going on with the coins without being without them becoming centralized. Maybe that's another completely decentralized option. Maybe it's a, you know, I'm I'm a little bit crazy on this kind of stuff, but I'm think I, in my mind in 200 years we're all going to be under the same government anyways. <laughs> so um, you know I'm thinking some sort of outside of any government regulatory body that could that could act in the best interest of the communities rather than the best interest in rather than in the best interest of the U.S. community or right. or the you know uh, the U.K. community whatever. So the so. Either that's there. As far as I know, there's nobody trying to do that yet. 
there will be. Uh, there needs to be some sort of regulation because, again, we have there's a lot of pumping and dumping. There's a lot of insider trading. There's a lot of stuff going on that we can't that we can't control as long as there's no regulatory body. Um, I because I do a ton of research and I'm really involved in everything. I prefer that to to trusting you know to trusting our government to do something. You know we. We know that Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency, we know how much there is. It's always going, the, the number of coins that are ever going to be printed have already been announced. It's already built into the code, which everybody else has taken a look at. It's all open source. So there's nothing to hide. There's no, one of the things that people say to me is, oh, Bitcoin's a scam. Okay, well, nobody, nobody stands to benefit from the scam other than those that own the coin, which means that everybody who owns the coin is in the same boat and they all want to be the same way. <laughs> right. So so that their interests are aligned. Um, it, another of the things that is said is it's a Ponzi scheme. There are Ponzi schemes out there in the cryptocurrency world. Don't ever buy BitConnect. <laughs> okay, BitConnect is a Ponzi scheme. Um, and, and oddly, it's a, you know, people, everybody involved in BitConnect knows it's a Ponzi scheme, but they don't care. Uh so, but Bitcoin itself can't, it's, there's no, the investment when you invest into it in a Ponzi scheme, normally you invest and you're getting some sort of fake return on your money. Right. Uh, in, in Bitcoin, you're invest, you're, you're just buying the coin. You're not, you're hoping it goes up in value, but you're not being told it goes up in value. And there's no, there's nobody at the top that if they were to shut down Bitcoin and take it all would, would profit from it. Even if one of the exchanges shut down and took a bunch of Bitcoin, it would just crash. Because the community, um, just like before with Mt. Gox, the community um, confidence in it would just go, would just be gone. So uh, another another misconception: Bitcoin got hacked uh, for forty million dollars the other day. Bitcoin did not get hacked. Uh, one of the biggest um, mining conglomerates, basically, uh, mining pools, got hacked for for forty million dollars worth of Bitcoin. And whether or not they got hacked is kind of up in the air. But forty million dollars was taken from the community by this, by this mining, by, by either by the mining pool or by the hacker that hacked the mining pool. They didn't hack the Bitcoin code. That can't be done. Um, it, well, it can't, yeah, it can't be done. <laughs> Once you get into quantum computing, they might be able to solve the equations a little bit faster. But that's a different, a uh, different thing entirely. But you can't hack Bitcoin. It, the you even if you found a way to. Um, fake one of the ledgers that would only be in existence for a few minutes before the next ledger came out so so it is all, all of those arguments are built right into the right into the code right into the right right into what's available to the community everybody can verify what i'm saying about that part of bitcoin so um i went on a little bit of a tangent there but the, <laughs> no it's interesting but the the idea of regulating the regulating the decentral the decentralization of the coins, I think, can be done. I don't think that they need to continue to be completely unregulated. Uh, there there are coins out there that will probably be resistant to that. Like Monero, right now, is the one that is completely private. Uh, they're they're now the ones kind of being used in the drug trade, taking over what Bitcoin used to do in the Silk Road days. Um, they would probably not be happy with any sort of regulatory body. But um, there are loose regulatory bodies out there, um, groups that get together and make decisions on the future of the coins and try to help things, but really there is no um, big, big, big regulatory body that everybody has subscribed to. And and again, uh, with the way the community was built around the coins, the 
regulatory body would need to be decentralized in some way. Like, you can't have a regulatory body with a president of the regulatory body making the decisions. They wouldn't be happy with that. So sure. it would need to be uh, a regulatory body that could be not voted in every two years, but changed at any time. Uh, there, There's a coin called ARC, which um, the point of that coin is to kind of connect everything. But what, what they do have is a voting system where there are 51 delegates who, who decide the future of the coin. You have to pay to vote for a delegate, uh, the value of one arc, which is about $4.50 last time I checked. We've been at sea, so don't hold me to that. <laughs> um, and once you've voted, you get a little bit of a profit share based on what they are doing. Uh, they each have a proposal that's written out. But if they get voted out of the top 51, they no longer get any benefit. You no longer get any benefit. Um, so if any one of them were to do something that really hurt the coin or hurt the community in some way, everyone could pull their votes and vote for another one of the delegates immediately and unseat them. You don't have to wait two years. You can unseat them right away. So that was a, that's a cool, interesting like democracy system that they had going on there. Uh, maybe something similar could be used for a coin in the future. No idea. But, um, but so that's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at right now. Uh, and, and in three years, we might have a follow-up to this podcast where the coins are worth absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, you know, oh, I lost all this money, but I'm still buying. <laughs> or, or in three years, we're having a, we're having a different podcast where I, where I chartered a ship. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Brennan. Appreciate uh, all the insight on that. It's, it's definitely an interesting topic that we'll continue to develop. And, um, We'll let everybody know. We'll be back with our regular show next week, and we'll finish that O'Malley's move. And uh, also, don't forget to uh, come on a future Andy uh, Poker Cruise, and you can kind of walk up and interrupt our podcast like it's been happening all day here. <laughs> so uh, go to antiupcruises.com, and you'll see our upcoming schedule. We have two coming up really soon that we will have um, cabins in our control only for a few more days, so including our March 8th weekend warrior cruise, we're calling it. Um, you only have to take one or one or two days off of work to join us for that one on March 8th. And then a really exciting nine-day cruise, April 13th to 22nd, out of Miami, going to the ABC Islands of Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao, which are amazing islands. Those deadlines for those two are coming up pretty quickly, so go on to antiofcruises.com and book those quickly. And then we also next year have a cruise to Cuba again. Um, and then one more out of Tampa, and we will be uh, working here in the next couple months on 2019. So hope to see you on a cruise. And um, on behalf of Chris Casenza, I'm Scott Long, and we will see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.